I don't remember what was said when I caught you two in bed. But now I sit here drinking shit beer, chasing Johnny Walker Red. Hi, welcome to Clown Interrupted with Kiki Maroon. That's me. <laughs> so I went to San Francisco to meet up with my mentor and sober buddy, Curtis Matthews, who's my guest in the next episode. While I was up there, I asked Curtis if he had any suggestions for other sober comics I should reach out to while I was in the Bay Area. He connected me with his friend and today's guest, Michael Meehan. Michael's a stand-up comic, sketch artist, and filmmaker based in San Francisco. He's been on The Late Late Show, The Dennis Miller Show, Last Comic Standing, and many, many other shows and movies. He talked to me about coming up in the San Francisco comedy scene in the 80s, and honestly, I am so impressed that he was able to get sober during that time. Back then, cocaine was not only the glamour drug of choice, but also how a lot of comics got paid. We discussed that, his relationship with Robin Williams, breaking down the ego, and Bobcat Goldthwait being one of the early sober comics. After the interview, I'll explain why that's super important to me. I loved his story, and I hope you do too. Here's me and Michael Meehan. How long have you been in comedy? Um, I started in 1984, so... Oh, 35 years? 35 years, I guess. Yeah, so... But once I started doing that, it was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And um, so uh, I got some early successes because I was, you know, uh, more outrageous, I think, than than other open micers or whatever. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by more outrageous? Much more physical, and and, uh, I'd jump off stage and do things. uh, There was a club, uh, the Hole in the Wall, uh, the Holy City Zoo, which was Robin Williams' home club, but they had this um, tiny stage, but uh, they had this pillar on the stage, and it had a rope wrapped around it, and I, like, climbed the pole and was doing a set, you know, 10 feet above the audience. (laughs) Did you acknowledge that you were 10 feet above the audience or did you try to just do your regular set? You know, I I would do, you know, you know, I will now jump off this, uh, this height into a bead of sweat on that man's forehead, you know, stupid (laughs) stuff like that. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, I got, um, some successes early on, but to me, the thing, the main thing was, uh, to get good. And so did all the TV shows, uh, Got like the comedy tonight. Whoopi Goldberg was hosting that. I got two episodes of that, which was very cool. Oh wow! Um, yes, yeah, so, so I got a little buzz. I was kind of like, uh, you know, hey, uh, I'm going to make it in show business. But mm-hmm. of course, uh, drugs. Well, not drugs. Uh, marijuana. Well, marijuana is a drug, and alcohol. Uh, you know, slowed me down along the way, but. You know, when I started comedy, it was just like, oh, this is great. Mm-hmm. You get to perform and you get these free drink tickets. So it was like, yeah. all right, this is heaven. Yeah, you get paid in drinks. That makes it uh, yeah. real easy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and then at that time in the 80s, cocaine was rampant. And I never got into cocaine because it was like I knew that it was the deep end of the pool I didn't want to go into. But people would get paid in coke or do lots of coke. And it was just kind of a... It was a scene that I knew I couldn't hang with, so I, I didn't do that. But um, um, That's honestly surprising that you didn't get into it during that time, because I always think of like Sam Kennison and that kind of thing, where 
that was part of the comedy was you were going to do that. And it's hard if you see that those successes around you doing that to not be like, well, that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the funny thing is, is you see people who abuse drugs and drinks and you're like, Oh, well, well that's what you do. That's how you become successful in show business. And, and it was interesting because here in San Francisco was Kinison, uh, got some good, um, you know, got a big foothold here mm-hmm. and I would go see him and it was like, oh, my God, this guy's on fire. And uh, same with uh, Bob Goldthwaite. Bob Goldthwaite yeah. got a big start in San Francisco. And so it'd be fun to see, although at the time he uh, he's sober, you know, but that was one of the early sober comics was Goldthwaite. Really? Yeah. I did not and, know that. And he would just drink Tab, which was like the most horrific, you know, it was like not Sprite Sprite, right? Or was no, it no, it was it was some sort of brown cola that tasted so horrendous, but he would just chug that stuff. And, you know, he did his act at the time was full on screaming and yelling. And, and but it was so fun to see like, oh, here's this one guy taking this whole room hostage with comedy. And I was like, well, that's what I want to do. Yeah. You know, and so that was one of the early um and he was sober then. And he was sober then. Yeah, he would talk about, um, you know, people offering him a drink. It's like, oh yeah, you're the, you know, hey, you want to do some coke? You know, oh yeah, you're the guy I want wired in your house. What do you mean you don't have any more pets? You know, he would yeah. do stuff like that, and then he'd do like the swinging motion around his head, like he's swinging a cat around. And uh, oh, I'm so jealous that you had that because I think that was part of my my thing is that I wanted. Yeah, I, 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 I'm very uh, attracted to the, that, that magnetic, loud, kind of crazy personality that is so much of comedy, uh, but I didn't see that sober, so I didn't think that was a possibility. So I'm jealous that you saw somebody do that in that state. Well, in hindsight, looking back on it, it was, it was great, Cause, but San Francisco at that time was, was ground zero for comedy, even though there's a lot of scenes, like Boston was happening and, mm-hmm. and some other scenes, but uh, San Francisco really was a, a phenomenal uh, pond where people were just doing so much crazy, interesting, wacko stuff. And it was, mm-hmm. you know... Yeah, Curtis was telling me about, like, you and your brothers were a thing. He kept saying that you were, like, the three Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We, did, we we had a group. Uh, that's after I got sober. Um, we got together and started doing the Me and Brothers. So my brother Howard and I uh, would always goof on stuff. And then my youngest brother, Chris, had gone to New York to the... Uh, the Meisner School of Acting. So he came back from New York and he was kind of looking for something. And by then, my my brother Howard and I had started doing a little bit of a, a duet. We, we would just do some goofs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was funny because when I got sober, uh, I was like, okay, I'm just going to get sober. I'll give up my comedy career if I have to. Everything's going to end and I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, if I just can stay sober, I'll, I'll be okay. And what happened was then I gradually, and nothing was funny, of course. I tried going up and doing stand-up sober, and I was just new in sobriety, so I hadn't really grasped hold of what life was about without, you know, booze. Yeah. After a while, though, it took off. I started to, you know, just become so much more cognizant of performing sober. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is great. And um, We said you opened for Robin Williams as well, right? So, like, did it... So I just want to understand the timeline of like, so the pattern I'm seeing is usually no success, sobriety, success. So if you had success before, what happened? You know, what basically, what was the rock bottom? What what led to you deciding to quit drinking if you were already having those successes? Well, my personal life was going to shambles. I was married at the time and uh, had a daughter who was five and 
my wife was like, I can't take it anymore. She gave me the boot and uh, rightly so. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because during that time, my brother Howard and I, Howard came to me and said, hey, let's do this play called True West uh, by Sam Shepard about two brothers. And one brother is the responsible brother and the other brother plays the alcoholic crazy brother. And I got to play the crazy alcoholic <laughs> brother. But it was funny because I had to quit smoking weed and drinking to do the role to learn the... <laughs> be focused enough to, to play be, the alcoholic yeah yeah so it was like but as soon as we closed uh the closing night i and i would drink on stage uh those near beers or fake beers or whatever uh but as soon as closing night it was like right back up smoking joints drinking and then so i kind of went on a tear for maybe two months and then my family uh all seven brothers and sisters and michael pritchard who was a big sober comedian who i knew that was that was the biggest sober comedian i knew uh they did an intervention on me you had an intervention you're the yeah. first person i spoke to who's actually had an intervention well it was the best thing that happened to me in fact um debbie durst who is a comedian and married to will durst just told me the other day she was the one who told uh <laughs> there's my landline now it's probably a robocall telling me that my irs account is in danger oh mine is in danger every day every day (laughs) you've got to be and my student loans have a lot of problems too (laughs) (laughs) i actually miss a lot of very important doctor's calls because i don't answer them ever because they're all robo and then i'm like oh shit i was supposed to make an appointment that was a real phone call (laughs) yeah it's like then you got to go back through the system and find out whoever Mm -hmm. phoned you yeah no it's it's a pain and modern angst um but yeah, Debbie Durst was the one who sort of told Pritchard, like, hey, Meehan's got a problem. Uh, he's, he's out of control here. And part of it was, but part of it was also just, I was just being, I was acting out of control as well, which was kind of fun to do because mm-hmm. it was like, all right, I, I'm getting divorced. I don't really have a place to live. Mm-hmm. I was sleeping in a van, um, you know, or crashing at a waitress's house. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it was, anyway, so... Mm-hmm. I went to rehab and it was, it was great because it was like, finally I got a vacation from myself. Um, Yeah. Yeah. When I was going through one of those phases, I actually, I guess justified it because I knew I was in the middle of it. Like I'm acting out, but because I knew I was doing it, I thought I was in control of it. I'd say like, well, I'm letting the id take over right now you know i deserve this (laughs) life is falling apart around me so i get to be crazy right now and i thought it was so much so mature that i was making the choice to be crazy rather than being a victim to it (laughs) and that made it okay (laughs) it was not okay (laughs) yeah yeah that's the 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 biggest thing is we delude ourselves that we're okay yeah Uh, but uh, so did you was rehab it? Did you have a couple of setbacks along the way? Or once you went to rehab, were you... You know, I, I, I prayed to have the the um, the hold of booze lifted. I really prayed hard. Um, I didn't have a problem with God. A lot of people do. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I was always praying for God to get me out of jams anyway. So, uh, <laughs> so I was like, hey, this is just one more thing. Uh, <laughs> you got to help me. <laughs> you know, they say if... Uh, you know, if your God doesn't work, get a new God or get a better God or get a bigger God or whatever. <laughs> but uh, I just had to make a slight adjustment. But uh, it was like, all right, I'm really praying for you to lift this uh, obsession to drink from me. And it it was lifted I- I- during the 28-day program. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I can't say exactly when, but it was gone. And suddenly I didn't feel like drinking. You know, they suggested I go live in a sober living place and mm-hmm. get a sponsor and do the steps. And so I 
I kind of started to do those suggestions. And then like everybody else, once you start, you realize, okay, there might be something here. Yeah. Did you uh, take a break from comedy then because it tends to be in bars? Um, I kind of did just a little bit, but I started back in. And of course, I wasn't funny. I felt just raw. I was like, oh, my God, I can't do any of my old stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it took a while, but I kept going up and I kind of sucked for a while, which was fine. But the the idea of doing stand up didn't disappear. But it got um, I I guess I got perspective and I put it, you know, uh, in like, okay. I'll stay sober. That's the most important thing. And then if I can still do comedy, I'll give this a shot again. And uh, it, it worked out. But sobriety was number one. So, but the obsession to like make it in show business or comedy at all cost was mm-hmm. kind of chucked aside, which was mm-hmm. such a relief in a way. It was like, okay, I'm just going to go up and try to be funny. Yeah, you had a different priorities. I have to tell you, I'm so grateful to hear this, by the way, because pretty much everybody I've spoken to was like, no, it was fine. I would go on stage sober before, even when I was an alcoholic. And I was like, what are you talking about? Because that was <laughs> that was what was most difficult to me is I always went on stage drunk. Always, always. And so going on stage, that was terrifying to me and changed everything. And everyone I've spoken to was like, no, that part was easy. So I'm glad <laughs> that you had that as well. Oh, yeah. No, when you were just asking about that, I was just looking back and it was like, it was so painful. I'm sure the audience was just like, oh, my God. But slowly it came back around but i think like seven months uh, into sobriety i did the comedy competition at san francisco which at the time was a a decent big deal but anyway you go around and you perform every night and i just like all right i'm going for it and i had done it several times before mm-hmm. drinking and failed miserably and couldn't figure out why mm-hmm. but this time i i went in with just a pure heart and i was like okay i'm just gonna pray for the other competitors i'm gonna do my best I'm going to turn over the results, all the stuff that the program tells you what to do. Show up. And that's amazing to already be in that space. (laughs) Well, the first couple of months, of course, were just horrible. But Mm -hmm. then after a while, I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. But one thing they they said, you know, in sobriety was like, go ahead and try new things, do things differently, see how it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they're talking about, you know, hey, you go to a meeting, people invite you to coffee, go to coffee with them. That's all it is. They're just going to coffee. So Mm -hmm. learning how to socialize without alcohol was was a was a deal and then you start noticing that oh yeah a lot of people aren't drinking excessively yeah <laughs> maybe one or two but you but know. it's yeah that's that's a huge thing is i thought like oh i'm not gonna have any friends and i was like oh wait most people are not alcoholics yeah, most <laughs> i just are. had found them yeah. <laughs> yeah and you do i mean don't you it's just like immediately you just find those who just like will just take it up a notch and, mm-hmm. and you're like all right well these are my people i guess <laughs> did you did you have to change your comedy was it about drinking or was it just that you were drinking while you were talking about what you were talking about like did the jokes stick with you um some of the jokes were about that but uh most of it was uh my comedy was kind of absurd anyway so um okay it didn't rely on my persona as a as a drinker okay so you it was know. just an internal thing that you had to get over yeah yeah, yeah okay yeah. that's okay I had far too many jokes about drinking, and so now I'm like, <laughs> got to talk about regular things. <laughs> yeah, well, that was it. It was kind of you threw out a bunch of that, and that's why it's difficult, I think, in the beginning. Plus, also, you were talking about drinking before you're going on stage, and mm-hmm. I certainly would drink, you know, have a beer or two, you know, before going on, and then after, of course, you're, the party's oh, on, yeah. hanging out. Um, My as- first bombing after stopping drinking, I remember that very clearly. It was at a festival, and 
it hurts so bad. And I used to just, yeah. when, I would, when that would happen, I'd run immediately and grab a shot. And I just had to sit by the side of the stage. And I just looked so uncomfortable. And one of my friends was like, do you want to drink? And I was like, no, I have to feel my feelings right now. <laughs> Isn't that the craziest, though, it oh. is to be forced to feel your feelings. And then after a while, though, you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is not bad. I, yeah. It's fuel now. Where I'm like, I don't want to feel this thing again. What do I need to do right. to be better? Right. And it's like, okay, I bombed. Uh, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to sleep, and tomorrow's going to be a new day. So mm-hmm. uh, that's where you sort of put it in perspective, where it's not like you got to get obliterated about this yeah. failure or whatever. So or perceived failure <laughs> feels like the most important thing in the world that night. Mm-hmm. Um, so because you, you are sober and you have so much time, do you have a lot of comics or people coming asking for your help or your advice doing that? Uh, periodically, mm-hmm. periodically. Uh, it's funny because uh, one of the comics I used to hang out with and smoke tons of weed with lived right next door to the sober living place that oh. I lived at for 18 months. And I saw him <laughs> twice in that 18 months. Whereas before, I mean, I'd see him all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd be out smoking weed and drinking all the time. And it was so funny because he lived right next door and I saw him oh exactly my God. twice. <laughs> but, uh, but people knew that I didn't drink. And I sponsored a couple guys that were comedians. And, but I sponsored guys in AA, whether they were comics or not. You know, they tell you if you go through this. My first sponsor was a cop. So, you know, he'd come up to the, the sober living place in his cop car, give me a big hug with his Kevlar vest. And we'd go through the big book <laughs> oh and do the steps. And uh, he was such a kind man. And uh, it was like, oh, okay, that's how you do it. So, you know, I would try to pass on his lesson of like, hey, just go through the stuff. And, you know, in the beginning, of course, you're like, oh, these four steps. Uh, people, of course, are uh, skittish about going through all their their crap. And mm-hmm. it's so funny because after you stay sober for a while and you hear a couple fifth steps, they're all the same. It doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, yeah, we did that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like, uh-huh. All right, let's get moving. <laughs> What's your part in it? What's your part? Oh, you're selfish, <laughs> self-centered, full of fear. All right, good. All right, move on. <laughs> Next, Next person. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is so funny. But before you do it, you're so full of fear. Mm-hmm. And then after you do it, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. I actually, uh, Andy Huggins is the first person who said, when I didn't know what to do, he's like, go to a meeting. Multiple times I drove to a place. I looked up online. They're having a meeting. Sat in the car and then left. And felt like, well, at least I tried. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it was so scary to think. I'm like, I'm just going to walk into this room. Do I have to sign up? What's the th-? like? I was so terrified, <laughs> and it it took a long time. And then once I finally started going to the meetings, even then I would go and then not go for like six months, and then go to another one and not go. And so uh, Curtis is actually the person who was like, "You need to go. It's not a it's not a, like a parachute. Only when things are going on in your life, it's active." continue to go and i was i was doing it the hardest way possible yeah i was gonna say that's that's rough but that's good advice though it's not just a parachute yeah but i find being sober and going to meetings you hear these stories and you're like oh my goodness creatively it's so interesting to hear how people dealt with stuff or Mm -hmm. you hear new stories or something or someone will say something that's just so hilariously tragic or something you're just like oh my god and just 
scribble it down. So I actually accidentally went to a crystal methanotomous meeting <laughs> and it was the most fun I've had in a long time because everybody was so, they were so removed. They were five, 10 years in. And so they were, they just had the funniest stories and they could joke about it and laugh. And we were having the best time. And I was like, yeah. I love meth addicts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's nothing like a little time <laughs> past the debauchery. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, it was, it, it was just really refreshing and sweet to be like, oh, we all have the same, the same problems, the same issues. We dealt with it in the same crazy ways. And no matter how different and insane your story is, I get it. I understand. Yeah, yeah, that is, yeah. I think crystal meth's uh, so crazy that the, their recovery is, is such a blessing because mm. oh, yes. it's so destructo. But, of course, drinking, you know, is... Uh, equally destructive as well but it is funny to see the various things but a friend of mine told me uh he was like well the only difference between a gay fifth step and a straight fifth step is there's probably a little more sex in you know but of course it's guys having sex with guys so of course there's going to be more sex mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i um something uh it was actually a performer in Austin who was from here, actually. Everything's coming together. His name was Bobby Barnaby. He's a circus and burlesque performer. He just moved to Austin a year ago. And um, he's the person who, who actually gave me, like, walked me through this book that he had because I was like, I don't understand the steps. <laughs> I know that they exist, but I'm a very, like, an analytical. I'm like, is there a book I can... I know they have the big book. Right. I wanted, like worksheets or something. I was like, what do you mean work the steps? There's just reading. I need things to do. So he showed me like a a separate workbook that he got that was actually like walking you through and you fill everything out and answer these questions. And it was kind of like a a companion to having a sponsor. Okay. That that's the way my brain works. And I was like, thank you. I need, I need this thing because I, uh, said, I feel like there's, there's less performers and artists in Houston, I feel like. Is there more in Austin, you feel? There's a lot more in Austin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I like to talk to people who understand those aspects of like uh, being in the public eye and, and that kind of stuff because there's, uh, I don't know, I just think there's a different kind of crazy yeah. about some oh, of yeah. the things. And so mm-hmm. I like to connect with people on that stuff. So it's it's changed. Uh, certainly my comedy has changed uh like I did, you know, with my brothers and we wrote like, we we're like a three headed stand up. So we had mm-hmm. a lot of goofy stuff and our, our show was very clean. So we would, but it was super high energy. So we'd come mm-hmm. in and my brother, Chris was very uh, physical and my brother Howard and I would be very wordy. So we, mm-hmm. but we did like a, uh, a takeoff on who's on first, but it was called who's on crack, you know, <laughs> who's on crack, what's on crank, I don't know, on smack. And so... <laughs> It was pretty good parody of that, and, and we would do it. But even so, it was still very wordy. Uh, mm-hmm. But we would throw that out every once in a while. But um, we had uh, this other... And in fact, this was one of our first bits that we did. It was called Walk for Justice, where we go, oh, uh, folks, thanks for coming down. And it was our closer bit. We'd go, thanks for coming down to the show. Uh, if you have a little time tomorrow, we're going to be at this great benefit. It's called Walk for Justice. It's uh, it's for a walk, and it's for justice. And who knows, we could have more justice. And then my brother Chris would start walking behind us, and then we'd go, now, if you have a little time that afternoon, there's a run for peace. So and then Chris would start jogging, and then yeah. we'd just start in, you know, you know, hopscotching for him or, or uh, hopscotching for halitosis. And, <laughs> 
horseback riding for hemorrhoids, and Chris would be going behind us going, and Howard and I would just be on this total thing like, oh, my God, you do so much for people, and we'd just be over like, obsequious, I guess is the word, but just falling over each other of how much we were doing to help other people. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. Chris is getting you know, uh, worn out in the back. Um, <laughs> skydiving for psoriasis uh, come on out to the airfield and so he'd lay on the stool and pretend like he was dropping out of a an airplane and and then in the end it was kicking yourself in the testicles for tetanus oh my god and then uh, so but it was a fun uh, that was our big closer so that was a lot of wordy stuff but do you still do like skit type stuff now or was that specifically with your brothers uh well that was specifically with my brothers but um we'll do some sketches uh, i've been working with uh, johnny Steele uh, a little bit uh, where I was talking about sketches, but um, it was fun to do sketches with my brothers, um, and I haven't really found a, like a sketch group to be part of. But every once in a while, we we uh, we would collect, especially in the earlier days, we'd collect uh, comics together and, and do shows. Mm-hmm. And the other cafe in San Francisco uh, really encouraged it, and they would put four performers together, usually three comedians or four comedians. Uh, and uh, give us a week, and, and it was comedy theater week, and so we just... That's amazing. It was a great show, because mm-hmm. it was like a 90-minute show. Um, everybody did 10 minutes of stand-up, so that was 40 minutes of the show that was already written, mm-hmm. and then we'd come up with 50 minutes of um, sketches. Um, that's actually something Bobby Barnaby was talking about that uh, he miss he misses in Austin, uh, and is trying to build there is more like incubation spaces. He was talking about how up here he felt like there was so many spaces where you could really just try, try anything and work on on different things like that. And then Austin, it's more of like they're booking a completed something already versus like you can you can come here and work on this stuff. Yeah, I mean San Francisco was great, but I don't know if they have the space anymore. I mean the dot com, uh, the tech boom has just steamrolled every space that you could hang out and do stuff with. So. Yeah, Curtis was telling me that there's only two uh, comedy clubs here, which I was really shocked about. What's crazy is the two main clubs, the Punchline and Cobbs, are owned by Live Nation, which oh, is really? owned by Clear Channel, which is a enormous national media company. Mm-hmm. But they were considered the underdogs because when Google came in and wanted to buy the Punchline building it was threatening to close the punchline, which is a premier room. I mean, the punchline's so fun to play at. Mm-hmm. Low ceilings, great A room. Mm-hmm. But um, and they got a reprieve through uh, the city, uh, so they and Google then backed off and was going, "Well, <laughs> well, we were <laughs> we were really <laughs> serious about that." You know. Meanwhile, they're crushing somebody else and destroying some other. So Live Nation space. was the underdog. So Live Nation, which you know, steamrolled all these clubs and bought up all this stuff. They were the mm. underdog. It just goes to show you the the uh, the monopoly. But part of the offshoot of that, though, is that there's tons of open mics everywhere that mm. are run by comedians or somebody. Um, and Curtis Matthews runs the San Francisco Comedy College. I mean, that's mm. a great alternate venue to uh, produce comedy. Um, and then there's a few other places. Uh, there's some improving stuff and... Uh, over are there in, any clubs in Oakland? Oh yeah, there's tons of okay. uh, clubs over there. In fact, uh, they've been going pretty strong in Oakland because there seems to be a little more space. Mm-hmm. I don't know about sketch groups. I'm sure there are sketch groups, but mm-hmm. um, I just only know from periodically going over to stand up over there. Yeah, I was just surprised when he said that because I you know there is so much. 
I always hear about comedians coming from here. It seems like there's a very strong scene in history here. So when he said there was only two, I was really shocked about that. Yeah, uh, there used to be a lot more, but um, yeah, it's definitely shaken out. So there's just sort of one-nighters here and there, mostly Mm -hmm. open mics. There's not any money in it, Mm -hmm. uh, or else you're booked in the two main clubs. But they're all booked through, you know, the big Live Mm -hmm. Nation uh, people, so yeah, that's actually what my, my shows. We just moved in March to the House of Blues, Houston and Dallas. So I'm, so I was like, what's he about to say about Live Nation? <laughs> I don't know if I have to cut anything out, but no, uh, no, yeah, no, they're, no. they're mean, basically who who I'm working for now. Right, right. Um, well, that's and, good. I mean, uh, if you can get yeah. working with them, that's awesome. You and know. a lot of people, fans who were very like not so supportive of the the move, but. My stance was like, yeah, but they've also got a nationwide network. So if we can get the shows into there, the possibility of being able to go to multiple cities because they go very plug and play once you're in the the growth potential is is what I went for. Yeah, well, that's a great move. And I mean, talk about the business of comedy. That's a great move to plug into that. And it was like the improvs, too. If you worked Mm -hmm. one improv and they liked you, then you could work all of the improvs. And that was a great uh, move to do. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're not in the network, though, uh, then, then of course, you're going to feel like you're left out in the cold. And so you have to find some alternate Mm -hmm. uh, places to play. Do you do a lot of club work and tours still? Um, You know, I go out a couple times a month. Mm -hmm. Certainly not like I used to, where I was living in clubs, you know, six, seven nights a week. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always seem to have a day job anyway during my career, because I never... I was always married with a kid, so... um, even when I was divorced, I still didn't go way out on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go up and down maybe the West Coast. So when you were opening for Robin Williams, was that that was here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I worked down in L.A. a little bit. Okay. I worked, but only, it wasn't like I was his regular opener, but I opened a couple shows with okay. him. Um, Curtis, I think, builds me up too, too much. But no. I know Robin Williams, I got to hang out a lot with Robin Williams, and mm-hmm. I know Robin Williams um, was a... You know, considered a friend, which mm-hmm. was awesome. I mean, because before I started comedy, I remember seeing him on the early Mork and Mindy show when mm-hmm. I was in college, and it, everything would just stop, and everyone would just go watch Mork and Mindy because this guy Robin Williams was on, and he was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, but when I started comedy, and then I got to meet him, and you know, the first week in comedy, I went to some party, he started making fun of me, and I was like, "This is it. <laughs> I'm in the You're right like, place. We're, we're oh friends now. Yeah, yeah. This is great. So this was uh, pre or post sobriety when you were. Working? This is pre sobriety. Okay, and then uh, got to be, uh, got to actually become decent friends with him uh, in sobriety, which was great. And that was through Michael Pritchard and some other sober comedians because. Mm-hmm. You know, you you're sober. You start to gravitate towards other comedians. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that was that was a that was a fun thing. Um, I know you're gonna have to get going. Um, so, I ask everybody. We have the same closing question. Um, if you need time to think about it, it's fine. I will cut sure. things out. I'm an Aquarius. Um, I like long walks on the you're beach. You're an Aquarius also. Uh, and yeah. I, I am not. Curtis is, oh. and I was like, "You're the second Aquarius I think I've ever met in my oh, life." So now you're third. That's instantly. why I get along with Curtis. That's oh. so funny. And what's your sign, by the way? I'm an Aries. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, final question is: If you could snap your fingers and people around the world instantly believed two things, just that is their reality now. Uh, what would it be and why? The only caveat is one of them has to be selfless and for the good of humanity. The other one, completely selfish and self-serving. 
These are hard questions. Yes, I know. That's the point. How can you throw this? Of course, the first one, even when you said that, it was like people just be kinder and more understanding. Uh, That's what I'd like to see more of, including myself, of Mm -hmm. course, because I'm usually fairly kind to people, but Mm -hmm. once I get behind the wheel of a car, uh, then I'm not. It's, uh, <laughs> it's easy to break it. <laughs> like, I actually, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I heard something. I don't know if this is true. That that's uh, road rage and those those kinds of things that you're talking about is because uh, in the car we're going you know faster than we can walk or run. So that there's a subconscious thing that's saying we're in danger. So we're in fight or flight mode the entire time we're in a car. That's very. So that's why we're so high strung and why everything sets us off. Mm, that is fascinating yeah i thought that was made a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense i've gotten a lot better by the way uh but uh, if as they say in sobriety if your spiritual spiritual condition is 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 good then nothing's going to bother you you're going to be able to weather that mm-hmm. um so yes uh, i guess the two-part question is yes i'd like people to be kinder and uh more generous mm-hmm. um which we see the opposite effect in the world a lot now from our own leaders and this massive run to the top to try to get as much as you can of whatever it is, resources, money, property. Um, but that's, of course, cyclical. Uh, that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is to be completely selfish. Mm-hmm. Some Yeah. To something. Everybody instantly this believes this thing, and it's a wonderful, selfish thing for you. Oh. Uh, Oh my God, there's so many downsides to that, though. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, of course, the dream of, of making it on some successful level is is always a, one of those things that drives you. But I feel that my life is a success right now, even though uh, I don't have to... I mean, I have enough of a reputation without any fame or anything else, so I, mm-hmm. I'm not bothered. I can be anonymous, yeah, <laughs> but I can go up and perform uh, and be outrageous, and then mm-hmm. I can disappear. So, I mean... <laughs> I think I have that. Yeah. So, so, so fame might Fame's lower not, your, your yeah, life. <laughs> no, I, I, I've changed my whole idea about fame. I don't, yeah. I don't need to be famous. The quality of life yeah, will go yeah, down substantially. Life, yeah. Forget fame. Mm. Uh, that's no good. And even enormous amounts of money, uh, you still need to hire all these people to take care of it. And they're always going to steal as much as they can. <laughs> Every time. Every time. It doesn't Every matter. Time. Who so, was it? Somebody's in the middle of a lawsuit right now that, their person like bought a house and all this other stuff like un- right under their nose. And I said, to have so much money to not notice that someone bought a house with yours is yeah. crazy. I mean, I, I know enough wealthy people that they have to deal with that, that that doesn't seem like it's a, um, there's more negatives than there's positives about that. Even mm-hmm. though we're spoon fed this dream of like, Oh, you've got to be rich and famous. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, it's such a pain in the ass. And seeing people, Robin Williams is a perfect example of someone who got everything that every stand-up wants. I mean, everybody wanted to get uh, to be able to be fantastic on stage, mm-hmm. to get a TV show, then to do movies. movies, and then to live at home and do movies around your house. <laughs> I mean, he did so many movies in the Bay Area yeah. because uh, of They that. will come to you. Yeah, they'll come to you. But in the end, he still, uh, he couldn't take it with him, you know. And mm-hmm. he was a phenomenally uh, generous person, too. I mean, there's a case to be made that he's probably one of the finest Americans this country's produced because he did all these USO shows. I mean. Yes, he did. Yes. I mean, and it wasn't like just the base. He would go out to like Firebase Taliban and do 
a sh- he'd chop her in and do a show with, for 20 people with, uh, oh, his, his, his personal assistant, uh, Rebecca Irwin, was saying it was her, Kathy Madigan, and uh, the Joint Chief of Staff Mullen's wife. Because he was in charge, the Joint Chiefs of Staff Mullins was in charge of uh, the whole USO mm-hmm. uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq, and it would be three girls choppering in with Robin, and they'd be at some place where they're like, give you a plastic bag to go to the bathroom in, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then go behind these, <laughs> you know, this pile of rocks that we put in the fire base over here. Yeah, but. They do it to give them a little bit of home, which I think is amazing. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Robin would just go to all these places. And, and so, I mean, he's definitely the, the, the guy who made it all. But you look at it and you go, even with all that success, he still uh, had to deal with all sorts of stuff. But he left mm-hmm. his mark. He was such a generous person. He was very generous with his wealth and his time. And uh, so, I mean, that to me is like a... a a perfect example of somebody who made it and used it, but he still struggled still. with drugs and alcohol sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Parkinson's, uh, took over and, you know, <clears throat> he had an aggressive form of Parkinson's and he saw his whole life just, you know, sand going out of the hourglass. And it was mm-hmm. like, that was rough. So, um, yeah, so I don't, I, I think the selfish thing the, that would be is just uh, being able to pursue uh, the things that interest me, but I don't need everybody to learn to, <laughs> to do that. Yeah, you can do that now. I can do that right now. So <laughs> I mean, it I mean, sounds I, like you're a perfect example of like, I guess, kind of like living the program because you're living in gratitude. That The fact that you don't even have an answer for that one. Most people have an answer right away, <laughs> but... Yeah, that you're you're living in a space of gratitude, and I think that's beautiful. Uh, it's 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 unbelievable because my selfish nature doesn't want to be grateful. But when I start to become grateful, I realize, oh my god, this is the best deal ever. <laughs> this, it's it's so funny. It's like it's it's almost very selfish because you then live a better life. <laughs> you're like, oh shit, I get all I get all the cash and prizes if I'm grateful. If I go help this other newcomer, if I go volunteer my time and do some shit over here for some people and help mm-hmm. these poor bastards or whatever, you know, it's like, oh my god, I'm, you know, and it's 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 phenomenal how uh, that works, and because it's real easy to see once you're sober. When someone's ego is out of control. Oh, yeah. Uh, I sometimes feel guilty for seeing that where I'm like, am I just projecting on them? And I don't want to. Yeah, I feel guilty for feeling like I see those things in people because I don't want to be judgy or anything. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, he's, he needs it. He, he's got a lot of ego and issues. And I don't want to think that about people, but I see it. When you see it, of course, you're like, oh, my God, it, it's what a horrible you, you can just pray for him because... I think because it feels so familiar. It's, it's seeing something that you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The old, yeah. Uh, you spot it, you got it type of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, but yeah, if... And of course, being performers, you have to have an ego to push yourself up there, to mm-hmm. even just to create a persona and do that. But having the program as a counterbalance to that is is wonderful because you're like, okay, well, I am a performer right now, but... 
you know, a little later, I'm a worker among workers. Mm-hmm. I'm just another sober alcoholic who uh, needs this program. I'm just this person. I'm this, you know, you break it down all the way down. Mm-hmm. I'm another carbon-based life form that needs oxygen to live. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not special, uh, whatever. But because of this program, I get to do all these little interesting things and I see things. And, and uh, so it's like, it is a good yeah, a there's a lot of life. freedom, I I think, in feeling like you're not special. <laughs> I'm not worried about what is everybody thinking and that kind of stuff, yeah, and I just feel free. That That's a wonderful that's a wonderful thought, Kiki. Mm-hmm. It is. There's a tremendous freedom in that. <laughs> so y'all hear that? Um, be good people, even if it's for completely selfish reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all we ask. Yeah, be unselfish out there. Uh, but you'll be the one who pay, gets the payoff. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Um, do I need to plug any products or something? Uh, you are welcome to. This, no, I don't know. <laughs> like, if you have any projects or anything any you want to plug. Or any, no, no. Yeah. Socials? No. Websites? I don't have, no, no. Um, I did a movie called, in fact, I did a movie in sobriety called Hey Monster, Hands Off My City which uh, we're going to be showing again at the Hole in the Head Festival in San Francisco in December. but oh, uh, uh-huh. And then eventually it'll probably be available online again. It was for a while, but it's not online. But anyway, it was mm-hmm. filled with comedians and awesome. a bunch of sober people too. Like I'd be in a meeting going, hmm, that person over there would be perfect for the role of so-and-so. <laughs> So, casting and meetings? I, I totally, yeah. You know how you go to a casting call and, and you're at, like at 30 seconds to impress somebody? Yeah. I was sitting at a meeting going, oh, yeah, Rita over there would make a great cop. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Rita ended up in the movie. Uh, you know, it was just so funny. so funny. Or, or like, hey, you want to... Use your pain. Yeah, yes, it was totally. It was like, hey, we need a couple crazy people. Oh, and there was another thing. We needed a crowd of people, but it was during the day, and nobody's available during the day. But then there was all these people who were at, <laughs> yeah, at the halfway at the house. The at the halfway house, it was like, "Hey, everybody, we'll give you twenty bucks. It's, it's cigarette money." They're like, "We're there!" Oh my god! <laughs> so this is a great scene where the guys with a you know six or eight people are all supposed to be there cheering for him, and and uh, they're all That's just hilarious. Okay, so I'm gonna see if I can come up in December for the screening for that alone. <laughs> It was, it was, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was the total program, uh, you know, just using the, the program That's for, so good. uh, but of course it was, it was fun and, and just, you know, so many other people helped me out on, on so many ways, but the sobriety thing was very funny to sit in a meeting and see somebody and, and then uh, some of it didn't work either. Like there was this one girl I met who was a roller derby, you know, she was struggling. Mm-hmm. She was struggling uh, to get sober, but she was a roller, roller derby one. I was like, oh my God, wouldn't that be awesome to have some roller derby people just zip through the scene, you know, but it never happened. But anyway, the idea was sparked. Yeah. It just, yeah. It just, it fills you with it. You might as well use these talents. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I actually, uh, one of my first episodes, I think it was the second or third. I spoke with a roller derby girl. Uh, same thing. Very in, in Austin, very party culture. Oh, totally. Cause you deal with pain. I mean, it's physical. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's football. Yeah. Basically. And then afterwards, everybody's just drinking together yeah. and stuff. And so they actually would make a uh, little sober shots for her because they still wanted her to yeah, feel yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's rugby on wheels kind of. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Smashing in. Well, thank you so much. I will make sure to uh, include everything in the show notes about, about the movie and, and everything. I really appreciate you sitting down with Kiki, me. Kiki, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Bye. Best of luck. Yeah.
world comes around I may be six feet underground But I'll still have one more that was Michael Meehan. I love that we ended our conversation on gratitude. Finding gratitude has deeply changed who I am for the better. Now I make a conscious effort to not focus on what I don't have or what I quote unquote should have, but instead being grateful for my accomplishments, my family, my friends, and ultimately my life. I haven't counted the number of times I could have died, but I assure you my dumbass did a lot of things while drinking that had I died, people probably would have just laughed it off as Darwinism. So yeah, I've got a lot to be grateful for. One of the things I'm grateful for right now is Michael telling me that Bobcat Goldthwait is sober. I have been a fan of his stand-up for years, but I never really researched him to know that he didn't drink. This is bananas to me because, okay, as y'all know from the title of the show, I was an alcoholic stripping clown. I was surrounded by a bunch of clowns, showgirls, sideshow freaks, everything. A bunch of crazy shit happened. I flipped a truck, dealt with cops, got sober, find happiness. Right? Right. So I knew that Bobcat had played an alcoholic clown in his 1991 movie, Shakes the Clown, but I'd never seen it. I just assumed it was like a, hey, hey, we're a bunch of dirty clowns, funny, raunchy movie. After Michael said that Bobcat was sober, I wanted to learn more about him. So I watched Shakes and it's my story. <laughs> He's this fucked up clown in this fucked up clown world who seems to be a good person, but can't get his shit together. A bunch of stuff happens. Cops get involved and the ending is him at an AA meeting getting his shit together. <laughs> it's an absurd, surreal, ridiculous movie. And I cried. <laughs> I felt like a freak for so much of my life seeing something that mirrored my admittedly bizarre story made me feel like I wasn't alone. And here's where it gets even crazier. While I was on probation, I wasn't allowed to enter any establishment that served alcohol, which meant I wasn't allowed to perform. I kept doing it because I was an alcoholic, hard-headed mess who wasn't going to let the man tell me what to do. But my probation officer saw a photo of me performing, so it kind of got a little sticky. Rather than stop, you know, like a reasonable person, I started wearing a mask every time I was on stage. During that time, Bobcat and I shared a backstage at this music festival in Houston. So I asked to take a selfie with him because, you know, yay, Bobcat. It's still on my Instagram right now. He's a normal looking man and I'm a drunk pinata wearing a Mardi Gras mask, <laughs> risking jail time for a gig that paid $20 in drink tickets. So not only did Bobcat tell my story... He was in my story. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> so if you want to see that photo, it's on my Instagram and Twitter at Kiki Maroon. Uh, the Instagram for this podcast specifically is at Clown Pod. That's Clown, P-O-D, no spaces. And of course, you can always join me on my Patreon. Patreon's a cool place where you can show your support for the show, sending anywhere between $1 a month or $1,000 a month <laughs> over to help cover the cost. It's just a really cool platform that allows me to continue running this show along with my circus, comedy, YouTube, everything else. So there's more info on that in the show notes, whether you want to call it a donation or a tip, it's all greatly appreciated. And as always, I want to thank The Last Domino for use of his song, Last Call. That is our theme song. You can find that in the show notes as well. And hey, thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Too late. <laughs> yeah, we got it.